Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello, listeners. On today's episode, we are headed down under to Sydney, Australia, to meet with Clive Rose. Clive is an award-winning author, and her latest book is entitled The Case of the Black Diamond. Clive, welcome to the RV. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm excited to be here. It's wonderful to be on Relatable Voice on RV. Yes. So, Clive, you were born in South Africa, but now you live in Australia. What brought you to Australia? My parents. I've been here since I was a little girl. We we left South Africa and went to England. Um, my parents didn't at the time like the politics and they wanted us raised differently. So we moved to England when I was a child. And then my father got work here um, and we moved here and I've been here ever since, but I still love to travel. I think moving around so much as a child um, made me more, basically, I, I like finding new places and meeting new people. So, Have you been to South Africa these last years? Uh, we went back once when I was in my teens um, and that was kind of a good trip. We, we basically did a lot of things that we remembered as a family from when we were all much younger. We saw a lot of relatives, obviously, that were still there. Um, it's a beautiful country. It really is. I still have fond memories of living there, but um, it was a long time ago now. So we haven't been back for a good couple of decades now. And Clive, you've written quite a few books. When and how did your writing career start? Um, well... Uh, the very first thing I ever had published was a poem when I was eight years old, which my father sent to the local newspaper without telling me. <laughs> and um, I've always enjoyed, I think writing is how I process the world. I used to sit up the back of the classroom with half my ear on the lesson, scribbling in a notebook. It didn't matter what the lesson was. It could be maths. I'd still be writing a story with one hand and doing my maths with the other, that sort of thing. Um, I... I started writing um, different endings to stories I didn't, where I didn't like the way that ended the story, that my favourite character died or the wrong couple ended up together. I thought, no, I don't like that. I'm writing a new one. So I just started doing that. And then a, a, a little while ago I entered a short, a short story competition in America and my story won. And um, I thought, I wonder if I can, you know, build a little bit of a readership, see how this goes. So I did that and then people kept saying, where can we buy your books? And one of my friends, who's a lot smarter than me, said, you know what you've done, haven't you? You've created a market with no product. You should maybe write some books. And I thought, that's a very good idea. I probably should. So I got out my old stories and I had a look at what was there and cleaned them up and got some help and went to a writing conference and I pitched them to a publisher and I was lucky enough that they took a chance on me. So, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Oh, congratulations. I'm happy that your friends told you to start writing the books. Yes, it's hard. 
<laughs> yeah, sometimes we we don't believe that we are able to do something and then someone just come and tell go and then that's what we just need to be pushed. Yeah. I mean, I've always written, but honestly, I, I, could, I write a whole novel and it sits there ready to go for weeks on the end of my desk and I haven't got the guts to send it. I'm trying to get better at that part of it. I've actually got a friend now and that's her job. She rings me once a month ago, is that still sitting on your desk or have you sent it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very grateful for friends like that. Yeah. And your, your latest book is called The Case of the Black Diamond. It is a sequel of the Sweet Christmas Secrets, Regions Holiday Anthology. Can you quickly tell us what the book oh. is about? The, the, I think those, the two have gotten confused. I have two novellas in two different anthologies. The Case of the Black Diamond was in The Secrets of the Soho Club, and that's a, a, a mystery and a romance um, about a spy who works for the Prince Regent and a lady spy who works for the princess, and um, they stumble onto the same case together and they're trying to figure it out, and, of course, they fall for each other along the way. Um, and then I wrote the sequel. It was a two-part mystery, and the sequel was going to be published in Sweet Christmas Secrets at Christmas, but Sweet Christmas Secrets was a sweet anthology with no steamy scenes, and my stories tend to be rather steamy, so I had to I had to move it to a different anthology. It will be released, but it will be released this year in the Secrets of the Soho Club, the Christmas at the Soho Club anthology at the end of this year. So um, the case of the Black Diamond what is a mystery um, based around the, um, the political situation in Regency England at the time in 1820 was very interesting. There were riots after the wars. People were having a very rough time. Um, there was not a lot of work. Uh, food prices were high. The French had just chopped the heads off all of their aristocracy and the British were a bit worried in case that became something everybody did. <laughs> so um, the king and the queen spies were very busy. <laughs> trying to find out enough information to keep everyone's heads in place. So, so I took one of those stories and wrote my, I based it around um, the intrigue at the time, the prejudice against Irish Catholics. And one of them gets suspected of a crime and the other one, one of the spies is Catholic and they come to try and solve the, the crime and um, get this person set free. And that's what the story is about. So you have to research oh, yeah. a lot for your books. Yes, it's one of the. I actually really enjoy that part of it. I really do. And I mean, I, I get very fussy about it. I get halfway through writing something, go, I wonder if they would have sat this way on a horse or sat that way. How many bullets can this type of gun fire at one time in 1820? I don't know. Can he shoot her twice or does he have to reload? And I have to go and find all that out. <laughs> and it's very interesting to me. I, I find that fascinating. If I'm not careful, I could spend all day researching and not write a word. Yeah, that's and you learn a lot when you research and write uh, some historical novels. And Clive, what inspired the story and the characters, are they inspired by anyone that you know? Can you tell us, please? Actually, this, the, the character of my, my um, main character in the case of the Black Diamond, Claire Ryan, is actually named after a real person who is called Claire Ryan. And she's somebody I met on Twitter. A few years ago, the romance 
industry was rocked by a big plagiarism case that's come to be known as copy-paste Chris. It was a woman who had stolen bits and pieces of lots of different books and squashed them together and made and put her own name on the cover. And she was actually quite a well-known writer. And then uh, someone noticed that some of her passages had come from other books. And then Claire Ryan wrote the algorithm that detected the plagiarism and it was discovered that she had plagiarised from hundreds of authors, some of whom were very big names. And once they got wind of it, they took her to court. And I actually don't know the outcome, but I think it's still ongoing. Um, and I promised the lady who worked on the algorithm, I said, you're a detective, you're a plagiarism detective, and I think you should be in a book. So I based Claire Ryan in my story on Claire Ryan, the real Claire Ryan, mm-hmm. who um, I met, who, who, who devised this algorithm. She's a data analyst, which is a form of detective these days. Because data is pretty much <laughs> where a lot of you know that kind of cyber crime and all of that, and her job is is to catch catch uh, write the write the programs that catch these people out. So um, I asked her permission, and she said, "Yes, please go ahead." And I said, it's, "Is it all right if you have a lot of sex in this story? Because that is what I write." She said, "Yes, I don't mind." <laughs> go, boy. Wow. So I did. I did that. She actually got a thank you from Nora Roberts because one of the plagiarism cases involved her and um, that was pretty exciting. She did a Twitter post and then I posted bits and pieces of my story um, saying that I'd named my character after her because I promised her I would. And, um, yeah, it it was a lot of fun to name it after a real person and I I tried to give her a lot of the similar qualities. Claire, the real Claire Ryan is Irish, so Mm -hmm. is my character and therefore Catholic. And being Catholic in 1820s Regency England was at, was not actually easy or fun. No. So um, they were very much an underclass and persecuted. So I wanted to bring that in. The Catholic bill was a political hot potato at the time, and all of that's part of the story. Interesting. And I believe she must be happy to be part of it. <laughs> she was. She was. It's She's a writer too, but she writes more fantasy, swords and Tolkien sort of stuff. So it didn't it didn't impinge on what she did and I got to have fun. And I'm very fond of my character and I'm not done with her. She makes she makes an appearance in the, the one that came out at Christmas in The Love Sweet Arrow mm-hmm. um, because she's not just a spy. She also runs a perfumery. Um, and, yeah, in the sequel... Um, her life gets even more complicated and interesting because the Queen is in, comes under investigation, which is something I don't, I think would make a fantastic TV series, actually. They did investigate the Queen. Um, it was a very big deal in 1820 and 1821. Wow, I like this idea, Clive. I think so too. I just gave it away to the whole world, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, I still think it would make a great story. I think so. I will read it definitely because I love this kind of books, really. I've just finished the sequel to my debut novel, which which I had a lot of fun with. And then I'm going to uh, get back to Claire Ryan and Alexander Lindsay. And um, they've got, I, they're supposed to be part of a five book series. So I've got a lot of work to do there mm-hmm. um, where they become a little detective couple and solve crimes together. And Clive, are you a full-time writer? Um, I was. And then I bought a, during the pandemic, I bought into a business, so I, uh, which, which has some connection to my writing because I bought into a talent agency and um, 
now I'm looking at getting audiobooks made using the talent of the people that I help get film and TV roles. So yes, I do write full time as well as work with talented people on their right their performances. So wow. it's all about storytelling, really. And it's a dream job. If I could just write and do no nothing else, not even not even my blog, I would be thrilled. But you know, people have to know you're there. You could have the most perfect book in in history, but if no one will know it's there, no one will ever read it. Yeah, exactly. I think technology is. And everything has definitely facilitated communication. Before there were wars, you could maybe receive a letter or a telegram. Mm -hmm. That being said, do you think that this easy access has made people take romantic love for granted? I think people are so confused about how to spot the difference between a true connection and something that is is very fleeting. Um, I think social media and the way we communicate now has given us the illusion of, of depth but no real depth and a lot more breadth. Like you can have 500 friends on Facebook, but how many of them do you really know? If you have a really bad day and there's absolutely not a single one of them you can call to chat it through with, are they your friends or are they just people on Facebook that you follow each other and you know that's fine but um they're not your friends really um the fact that people struggle to tell the difference is is interesting and I think sad um I mean I've had moments where I've had a terrible day and I can't think of a single person to contact about it and I think well if that's true then having 15,000 followers isn't all it's cracked up to me really <laughs> I mean you know um so I think I think a lot of things, people have been confused by, <laughs> I have a big issue with the commoditization of love, making love a product. You can't do that with people's genuine feelings. And that is what dating apps and dating agencies and all of those things are designed to do. That is what chocolate boxes and Valentine's Day cards are supposed, that's what they do. They turn love into an industry. And actually you can't do that because everyone's heart is different. And the minute you systemize something, yes, you can make money out of it, but it loses, it loses its soul. So I don't know. I think, I think um, someone can give you all the gifts in the world and not love you the way you want to be loved. And it doesn't matter if they think that they love you. If your heart isn't happy, then it's not love for you. And that means it's not love, period. I love what you said. Clive, is there a message you'd like to leave for our listeners? Learn how to listen to your instincts. I think that's something that we, we unlearn or we're taught to unlearn at a very young age when we're too busy competing with each other at school and at sport and at work. And we forget how to just hear ourselves. This is a world that makes its living off of trying to grab your attention. And don't forget to give that attention to yourself because no, no one needs it more than you do. No one needs you more than you do. Nobody. It doesn't matter what, if they think they do. You should always belong to yourself. So, Clive, where can our listeners find you and, of course, your books? Well, uh, my website is cliverose.com and everything's on there. They can also find the books on Amazon and um 
I'm on Goodreads and BookBub. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and I have a Facebook page. But if they join my newsletter, that's probably the best way to find out what I'm up to. And they can do that on my website. Wonderful. And are you planning to write more historical romance fiction or you think, yeah, this is, have you ever thought about writing mystery? Yes, I would like to do a Regency mystery series. And that is something I am closely looking at with Claire Ryan, my character, who I'm very fond of, because I'm by no means finished with that, with those guys. Um, There's so much, there's so much I could do with that. The thing about the romance is um, you would have to have a new romance for every novel if I kept it in the romance genre. But if it was a mystery, then I don't have to do that. I kind of like the idea of having a will they, won't they over a whole series of books, a little bit like um, the Miss Fisher series, which I very much enjoyed with her and her inspector. So, but, but not set in the 1920s and totally not stealing anything from Kerry Greenwood, who is another Australian author that I think very highly of. And Clive, what is your writing process? My process is much more refined than it used to be. It used to be very messy and now it's only a little bit messy. Um, (laughs) I research, I I come up with an idea or a scene. Sometimes it's a word that I'm like, must write a book around that word. I, I like it. And I'll go and I'll research a lot. And when I think I've got enough, knowing I don't have everything, but knowing that I've got enough, I get started. I pen a few scenes, I put them things together, I move things around, I give people names, I join them together. And the first draft is always the hardest. It's always awful, but you can't work with nothing. So you've got to make the clay. You have to make the clay before you can even try sculpting anything beautiful out of it. As I'm going, I make loads of notes. I'm like, yep, find out more about this. What about that? And then I go and I do the extra bits of research and I find out some things that I think I wanted to happen can't have happened because things didn't exist or wasn't possible. Um, And then other areas, and so I changed the story to fit what's possible for the time. And then I go back and check that the characters are doing what they're supposed to do, that they evolve, that there's growth, that there's development, that there's relationships. Um, And I don't pay attention to anything like dialogue and character until about the fifth draft. And then I start going through and getting quirky with them and going, yeah, this one likes to bite pieces of her hair when she's nervous. That, that guy fiddles with his collar buttons when he's, when he's talking to a girl or whatever it is. And um, I give them things that are special to them. Um, when this person drops things, that's what he says. <laughs> when that person drops something, they have a different bad word, whatever. And then, I, and then they become people with their own little little likes and dislikes. But I always have a specific, I start with a basic flaw and a basic thing that they're really, really proud of or good at. Sometimes it's determination and then they might be stubborn because that's the flip side of determination. And there are times when they're doing things where being determined is good and there are times when it's not. And I put them in situations so the reader can see how it works for them and how it might not. And then it, then it turns into a story. And I ha- always have a clear idea of where I want them to end up and where I want them to start. I just, the middle kind of, I feel my way through. And I always have an outline and I never, ever stick to it. It never works out that way. I always try to, but then it just goes off. And I'm like, no, nah, I just let that go. So awesome. some of it's organized and some of it's organic. My writing process is like, I 
first come up with the characters. I need to, you know, think about their faces, their clothes, and then I start with the plot. And you know, Clive, I never know what is going on. I don't know how it is going to end. I prepare very little beforehand. I think that that's amazing. And I don't think I could start writing without a plot but I, I do I do say this I don't think I stick very well to anything I prepare so you're probably saving like you probably save way more time because to, to just dive in but I think it's I have always have an idea of character too I think that's I think that's important but they do evolve a little bit and they have to kind of because if otherwise they're not if they end up the same way they were at the beginning then what's the point of reading their story really but yeah. um yeah so that sounds really interesting. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try not having a clear plot. See how that goes for me. I think in a mystery, the mystery with the mystery one that I wrote, where that plus where there was a mystery plus a romance, I had to have a, have a very clear plot. But it was based on a real event and a real crime that happened in 1820. So it was kind of defined for me. For sure. I, I knew who the criminal was going to be and everything. It wasn't a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this case, you need to have a plot. And Clive, it was so lovely to speak with you today. I really wanted to come back. Oh, I would love to come back. Thank you very much. Thank you. You take care. It's been an absolute pleasure to come on and I'd love to come back anytime. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please. Rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.